the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report number 24, September 1967. It is urgently important that we think now of Christian Reconstruction, but our thinking cannot be idle talk. It must be both biblical and also practically applied in our daily life. There are many people ready to eliminate statism, but they have nothing but wishing to replace it. How then will independent schools, private welfare, and individual initiative deal with the vast complex of our social problems? Already, most of our Christian conservative causes in Christian schools are continually short of funds. What is the answer? In any advanced social order, social financing is a major public necessity. The social order cannot exist without a vast network of social institutions which require financing and support. If a Christian concept of social financing is lacking, then the state moves in quickly to supply the lack and gain the social control which results. Social financing means social power. The Bible provides as the foundation law in the practical realm of a godly social order, the law of the tithe. To understand the tithe, it is important to know the biblical law has no property tax. The right to tax real property is implicitly denied to the state because the state has no title to the earth. Repeatedly, the Bible declares, quote, The earth is the Lord's, Exodus 9.29, Deuteronomy 10.14, Psalms 24.1, 1 Corinthians 10.26, etc. Therefore, only God can tax the earth. For the state to claim the right to tax the earth is for the state to make itself the God and creator of the earth, whereas the state is instead God's ministry of justice, Romans 13, 1-8. The immunity of land from taxation by the state meant liberty. A man could not be disposed of his land. Every man had a basic security in his property. As H.B. Rand in his Digest of Biblical Law pointed out, quote, It was impossible to dispossess men of their inheritance under the law of the Lord, as no taxes were levied against the land. Regardless of a man's personal commitments, he could not disinherit his family by being dispossessed of his land forever, unquote. The land is not the property of the state, and no state therefore has the right under God to levy taxes against God's possessions. The Bible cites it as a sign of tyranny when the state claims the right to take as much as God. An example, a tithe or 10% of one's increase. 
Thus Samuel said of the tyrant, quote, He will, besides, take a tenth of your grain crop and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will appropriate a tenth of your flocks, too, and you yourselves will become his servants, unquote. 1 Samuel eight fifteen and 17, Berkeley Version. Today, civil government takes more than a tenth of our income. It takes about 45%. When America was colonized, the settlers in every colony made biblical law their basic law. There was no tax on property. This was basic to biblical liberty. The inscription on the Liberty Bell is taken from the biblical land law. Quote, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Unquote. Leviticus 25.10 in the first session of the Continental Congress in 1774, Congress denied that Parliament could tax real property. Gottfried Dietz has summarized the American opinion then, quote, As to property, the delegates felt it should be free from seizure and taxation, unquote. The property tax came in very slowly, and it appeared first in New England, coinciding with the spread of deism and Unitarianism, as well as atheism. Such anti-Christian men saw the state as man's savior, and as a result, they favored placing more and more in the hands of the state. The South was the last area to accept the property tax, and it was largely forced on the South by post-Civil War Reconstruction. Moreover, as far as possible, when the property tax was adopted in the pre-Civil War era, conservative elements limited it to the county and retained the legal requirement that only owners of real property could vote on the county level. Today, the property tax is in effect a rent for the use of our own land. The state has the power of confiscation for non-payment and also the, quote, right, unquote, of eminent domain. This is, in terms of the Bible, a mark of tyranny, as both the law and the story of Naboth's vineyard makes clear. The tithe is God's tax for the use of the earth. It is not a gift to God. Only when the giving exceeds 10% is it called a gift and a, quote, free will offering, unquote. Deuteronomy 16, 10, and 11, Exodus 36, 7, Leviticus 22, 21, etc. The tithe is required of all men by God. Failure to pay the tithe brings on God's curse Yielding God his due results in so great, quote, a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it, unquote. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. The tithe was used for a variety of purposes. It supported the religious and educational institutions of Israel and also of colonial and early America. In fact, in the United States, the tithe was for many years legally binding on all men and failure to pay it was a civil offense. The tithe supported the churches, Christian schools, and colleges. When Virginia repealed such a law which made payment of the tithe mandatory, George Washington expressed his disapproval in a letter to George Mason, October 3, 1785. He believed, he said, in, quote, making people pay toward the support of that which they profess, unquote. The position Washington took was one which the early church had established as soon as any country became Christian. State laws began to require tithes from the 4th century on, because it was believed that a country could only deny God his tax 
at its peril. And therefore the various civil governments required all their citizens to pay tithes, not to the state, but to the church. From the end of the 18th century, and especially in the last century, such laws have steadily disappeared as a result of the atheistic and revolutionary movements of our times. In the early years of this country, virtually the only taxing power of the federal government was duties and excise taxes. The taxing powers of the states and counties were also exceedingly small. The total take in taxes was originally scarcely more than 1%. The functions of civil government were very limited, justice and defense mainly, plus the males. The tithe and giving took care of most religious and social needs, voluntarily and economically. Before going further, let us examine the biblical law concerning the tithe. The tithe is described in Leviticus 27, 30-33. A tenth of all produce or production was claimed by God as his due, and was holy or set apart for him. If the owner wanted to retain this tenth in its original form, an example as fruit or grain, he could do so by paying its value plus a fifth. This tithe belongs to God, not to the church, nor to the producer. It cannot be given to an apostate church without being given thereby against God, not to him. It must be given, therefore, to godly causes. The priest and Levites to whom it was originally given had charge of religion, education, and various other functions. This tithe was paid six years in seven, the seventh being a rest for the land and the people. But there was a second tithe, called also the festival tithe, Deuteronomy 14, 22-27, 16, 3, 13, and 16. The purpose of this tithe was to rejoice before the Lord, quote, And thou shalt bestow the money for whatsoever thy soul desireth, unquote. In order to, quote, rejoice, thou and thy household, and the Levite that is within thy gates, unquote. This second tax required by God was thus for the family's pleasure. There was also a third tithe, Deuteronomy 14.28f. Every third year, or twice in seven years, some scholars feel that the correct reading makes this a substitute for the second tithe in the appointed year. Henry Lansdale, in The Tithe in Scripture, called attention to 1 Tobit 1.6-8 in the Apocrypha, and to Josephus, Antiquities, B.K. 4, as well as to Jerome, Commentary on Ezekiel, 14i, 565, and Chrysostom, Homily, on Matthew twenty twenty-seven, to hold that a tithe in addition to the first two was meant. Mammonides, in the 12th century, held that this third tithe was the second tithe shared but Abdon Ezra disagreed. This tithe was a kind of social welfare tithe to be shared with lowly foreigners, not as a handout, but in common feasting and rejoicing before the Lord. As Lansdale pointed out, Christ did not repeal the law of tithing, pages 117 through 126. Jesus did not condemn the Pharisees for tithings. Quote, These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone, unquote. That is, quote, the weightier matters of the law, judgment, justice, mercy, and faith, unquote. Matthew twenty three twenty three. 
Chrysostom declared, quote, If under the law it were dangerous to neglect tithes, consider how great a danger there is now, unquote. Homily 4 in Ephesians 2. Joseph Bingham in the Antiquities of the Church wrote of the early church that, quote, The ancients believed the law about tithes not to be merely a ceremonial or political command, but of moral and perpetual obligation, unquote. Now, what did the tithe do? First of all, the tithe was an admission that the earth is the Lord's, not the state's, and the only legitimate tax on land is by Almighty God. The tithe established property as a right and privilege under God. As Rand noted, quote, Nowhere in the Bible is there any indication that property rights are to ever be abolished. On the contrary, such rights are emphasized and safeguards are placed around that property to protect a man and his possessions. Liberty for the individual is non-existent apart from freedom of possession and the protection of personal holdings and property, with adequate compensation for its loss or destruction, unquote. Second, when men forsake God's law and His sovereign claim as Lord of the earth, they are cursed by Him and sold into bondage. 1 Samuel 8, Malachi 3, 8-10 What belongs to God must be rendered to God. We cannot have God's blessing if we deny Him His due, the first tithe in particular. To be blessed by God, we must obey God. Third, the tithe made a free society possible. If every true Christian tithed today, we could build vast numbers of new and truly Christian churches, Christian schools, and colleges, and we could counteract socialism by Christian reconstruction, by creating Christian institutions, and a growing area of Christian independence. Consider the resources for Christian reconstruction if only 25 families tithe faithfully. Socialism grows as Christian independence declines. As long as people are slaves within, they will demand slavery in their social order. The alternative to a godly society, as God made clear to Samuel, is one in which men, having forsaken God, make man their Lord. And when their decision finally comes home to them and they cry out to God, God refuses at that late date to hear them. 1 Samuel eight eighteen. The time for repentance and reconstruction is before judgment strikes. Conscientious and intelligently administered tithing by even a small minority can do much to reconstruct the land. Fourth, the tithe is thus the financial basis of reconstruction. Good wishes, votes, letter writing, attendance at meetings all have their place, but they are not enough. Reconstruction requires a financial foundation and this the tithe provides. The tithe can recreate the necessary Christian institutions. Fifth, the tithe restores the necessary economic basis to society. It asserts the absolute lordship and ownership of God over the earth and the God-given nature of private ownership under God. To pay the tithe is to deny the foundations of statism. To pay the tithe means, therefore, also not only the practical steps possible towards Christian Reconstruction, but also the sure blessing of God in our battle against socialism. Having now sided with God, we have sided with victory. Sixth, 
The tithe restores the necessary spiritual basis to Christian action. Today, many people do give generously to various causes, but their giving is impulsive and emotional. They like to give to a church or program which provides excitement and glamour, and the result is irresponsible stewardship. The person who provides the best Hollywoodish production and the best press agentry gets the money. When people are disillusioned with such a project, they move on to look for another exciting and glamorous action. But the law of the tithe makes clear it is God's money and must go to God's causes, to Christian worship, education, outreach, and reconstruction. The tithe cannot be channeled to, quote, exciting, unquote, causes, but to godly causes, to solid, steady, consistently biblical causes. And the tithe must bear the whole burden of Christian reconstruction. Conservative giving goes much of the time to fighting against the inroads of the enemy, which is of course necessary. The tithe goes for reconstruction. Seventh, the tithe restores power to the little man. Today, it is the rich who dominates most causes. His money counts. He can donate a hundred thousand or a million to make his influence felt. But a thousand little men who tithe can far outweigh the rich man. They can keep a Christian cause from being dominated by a handful. Tithing is the way for the little man to have power with God's blessing. A hundred men paying an average tithe of $100 a month means $10,000 monthly, which means that a relatively small group is capable of great things and will gain God's blessing in the process. Socialism has filled a void vacated by Christians. The spread of Unitarianism and Atheism in the United States was closely followed by the spread of Socialism. It was not by accident that the early American Socialists of 1800 to 1860 attacked the tithe. To break down tithing meant that another source of social financing had to be forthcoming, the central civil government. And it was the total social impact of the little man's tithe that was so overpowering. The millionaires were few but the little people were many. Make no mistake about it, social financing is a social necessity. It will either be done by an irresponsible and godless state, subsidizing irresponsibility and godlessness and penalizing the godly, or it will be done by godly men who through biblically grounded administration and godly wisdom will further social order, true churches, Christian education, and a society flourishing in liberty under God. You vote here with your pocketbook. Take your choice. Or have you already made it? Calcedon Report number 25, October 1967. Why pray when you can worry? Some years ago, Dr. O. Hallisby told the amusing story of a not-too-bright old woman in his rural Norway. She trudged to and from town with her sack of groceries, When a neighboring farmer offered her a lift home one day in his wagon, Mary climbed up beside the farmer, but she still clutched her heavy bag over her shoulder. Quote, Put your bag down in the back, Mary, unquote, suggested the farmer. But Mary refused. Quote, The least I can do to help when you've been so good to me is to carry my own load, unquote. As Halsby pointed out, most of us are like old Mary in relation to God. We clutch our own load 
as though He were not carrying us and all that we have. In the days ahead, we must be prompt to act and prompt to pray. But how do we pray? First of all, as St. Paul made clear, quote, He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, unquote. Hebrews 11.6 It is useless to pray if we do not believe that God is the absolute sovereign, able to answer our prayers, and in His righteousness given to a strict accounting, yet loving and gracious to His own. The first premise of successful prayer is thus faith, and the obedience of faith. Second, prayer is simply talking with God. Theologians have defined the forms of prayer and the ingredients of prayer, confession, praise, thanksgiving, petition, etc. But our concern here is elementary and not liturgical. Prayer, then, is our conversation with God, but conversation dies when it is one-sided. Nothing is more trying than to maintain a formal, polite attitude of conversation with persons we dislike or cannot talk to. On the other hand, two very good friends can spend hours together and talk freely and endlessly and with pleasure. It is impossible for us to talk freely and easily with God if we are not listening to Him and have very little idea of what He has to say. God's side of the conversation is the Bible. To speak with God freely and successfully, it is important, first of all, to hear Him. Regular daily Bible reading is the best and surest stimulus to prayer, and also a necessity for our spiritual and moral growth. Family Bible reading, a chapter after dinner with prayer, is an excellent and much-needed practice. Third, the manner of prayer is a question in the minds of many. When our prayers are more deliberate, or with the family, we need to remember all God's mercies and blessings and to express our gratitude as well as our needs. But another type of prayer needs to have a major part in our lives also. Brief, silent, sentence prayers throughout the day. If you must deal with a difficult problem, pray quickly first. Quote, Lord, I don't know how to handle this situation. Give me wisdom to cope with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Unquote. If a trying person must be met during the day, pray, quote, Lord, give me patience, firmness, or whatever I need to face this person, unquote, and so on. These sentence prayers by the dozen should dot our day, and they will make it an easier day for us. With respect to table graces, there are many forms, but I like in particular the Anglican form. Father, the eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord. Family and thou givest them their meat in due season. Father, thou openest thy hand, family, and fillest all things living with plenteousness. Father, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. All, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, bless, O Father, this food to strengthen our bodies, Bless us to thy loving service, in Jesus' name, amen. Instead of the concluding formal prayer by the Father, I prefer an informal spontaneous prayer in terms of daily needs. Fourth, prayer should be, quote, in Jesus' name, unquote. We approach God not in our righteousness, but in His righteousness as declared unto us in Jesus Christ. As members of Jesus Christ, we have access to God through His person, hence, 
We pray in His name because we stand in His righteousness and in His grace. Because our salvation is the work of Christ, our merit and standing in God's sight are also of Christ. Fifth, we must remember that God is absolute Lord over all things. The tendency to limit God's power to things spiritual is a Manichaean heresy. God is able to give us things material and spiritual. The Bible is very plain spoken in its promises. Jesus said, quote, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Unquote. Mark 11.24 And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Unquote. John 14.13 Quote, verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you, Unquote. John 16, 23. Quote, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you, Unquote. John 15, 16. St. John wrote, quote, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Unquote. 1 John 3.22 And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Unquote. 1 John 5.15 These verses make it clear that prayers which are full of vague statements are meaningless. God has given every man a calling, responsibilities, and duties under Him in Christ, and He expects us to discharge those duties and challenges. And in the process of meeting our responsibilities, we must rely on His help by prayer. I have heard prayers by ministers which are really an insult to God. These so-called prayers are full of flowery compliments, but say nothing and ask nothing. The man is apparently too sure of his own ability to handle every problem to ask God's help specifically and concretely. But if God is sovereign, we cannot function without Him. Quote, In Him we live and move and have our being. Unquote. Acts 17.28 If we have nothing to ask of the absolute sovereign, it is because we feel ourselves to be sovereign. We ask because we cannot live without Him and His help, because God's grace, mercy, blessing, and providential care or the ground of our being and the safety and prosperity of our lives. We ask, quote, in Jesus' name, unquote, in terms of His person and our godly responsibilities and fulfillment in Him. Sixth, our prayers must be concerned about our own real needs, as well as the needs of the church as a whole, or of the world. Prayer must be personal, but there is a difference between personal petition and greedy petition. We can ask for much without being greedy and ask for little and be greedy. As St. James said, quote, Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, unquote. James 4.3 We cannot treat the world and God as though all things exist for our sake, as though all things have to justify themselves by serving our goals and purposes, our own desires. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer says, quote, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, unquote. Matthew 6.10 Our Lord said concerning all the necessities and normal hopes of this life, quote, 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Unquote. Matthew 6.33 Prayer must be personal, but it must be in Christ and in terms of the calling of God and our responsibilities, needs, and hopes in Him. Seventh, some writers have much to say about the, quote, mistakes, unquote, in praying, but very simply, the biggest mistake is not praying. We need not trouble ourselves about mistakes in praying. If we read the Bible and persevere in prayer, the mistakes take care of themselves, even as a child's language grows in maturity with schooling. I like the story of the small boy who wrote his first letter to his father who was away on business. Quote, Dear Daddy, I love you and miss you. When are you coming home? Are you bringing me a present? Your loving son. Unquote. The letter was faulty, but it was still perfect. It expressed the love and dependence which delighted the father. Our prayers are often like that. God views the prayer of faith with grace, righteousness, and love, not with the human nitpicking attitude. Eighth, central to our Lord's teaching on prayer was the emphasis on perseverance. Quote, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Unquote. Luke 18.1 Quote, with God all things are possible. Unquote. Matthew 19.26 And whatever our petitions are, if they can be prayed, quote, in Jesus' name, unquote, we are encouraged to persevere in prayer. Ninth, all our petitions save one are conditional upon God's grace, but one petition has as its only condition faith. We can, if we have faith, ask God for wisdom, quote, and it shall be given, unquote, James 1, 5 and 6. Wisdom we all need in these days, and we need to pray for it. Obviously, not many are praying for it. Prayer is inescapable. Man is not omnipotent, nor is man self-sufficient. For a man to feel self-sufficient means that he is self-deluded and insane. Life has a bitter disillusionment in store for him. Men with any sense of reality know their limitations, sins, and shortcomings as they face the problems of this world and of their own being. They will look to a higher power. Most men make the state that higher power, and their prayer, in effect, is that, quote, the socialist kingdom come, and the will of the state be done, unquote, so that they may have this day their socialist security and bread. In this respect, the socialists have more common sense than the anarchistic libertarians who dispense with God and the state. We are all familiar with the emotional instabilities and problems of these deluded peoples, but the socialists, in trusting in the state, are only trusting in man magnified. The state has vastly more power than themselves, but also less wisdom. Take your choice. Pray to yourself as your own God. Pray to the state, as most men are now doing, or pray to God. Your life and your future depend on your answer. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus.
It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had shown us by his pain. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. 
May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.